Let's bow our heads in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time to open up your word and to read what it has to say and to learn from it. Lord, I pray that you just speak through me this morning as I give my message, Lord, and I pray that it honors you and gives you all the glory. Praise in Jesus' name. Amen. If you'll open up with me in your Bibles, once again, to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. Continuing our series in the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 6, verses 22 through 24 is where we're going to be looking. That can be found on page 685 in your pew Bibles if you'd like to follow along. Again, that's Matthew chapter 6, verses 22 through 24. Page 685 inside of your pew Bibles. <coughs> It reads, The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So today, we're going to talk about having proper focus. And to do that, we must properly understand the concepts that Jesus is talking about in this portion of the Sermon on the Mount. And this is not an easy task, because although Jesus was very direct in his teachings, it's hard to grasp the concepts being conveyed, especially, I think, within this teaching that he gave uh, in the Gospel of Matthew. For instance, last week we were talking about storing up treasures in heaven and storing up treasures treasures on earth. And we get the concept of storing up treasures on earth, but what on earth does it mean to store up treasures in heaven? And we deduce that it means obedience to God, forsaking worldly pursuits, abstaining from instant gratification that dishonors God. And it might even mean making some very serious sacrifices for the sake of the glory of God. And we outline some ways to store up heavenly riches, and we deduce also that all we really got to do is look back into the Sermon on the Mount to all the teachings leading up to Jesus' teaching on storing up heavenly riches. But then Jesus interrupts his teaching on heavenly and earthly riches with a very strange statement. It seems like it's out of place. He said, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Once again, like I said, as imperfect humans, we don't necessarily make sense out of what the purpose of this scripture is. Being right here, where it is placed, is. It seems pretty random to us. 
I assure you that this is not some random teaching, uh, teaching that's just thrown in in the middle of this teaching about how to view money. And the funny thing is, I think that our modern minds become confused about what Jesus was actually communicating. Because the first thing that we see within Jesus' teaching is that Jesus is talking about a physical truth. Through the eye, light enters the body. And that's true. Light enters in through your eye. But that's not Jesus' point. He is still operating within the context of earthly and heavenly riches, as evidenced from the very next verse that states, No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. In fact, I would say that what Jesus did was that he engaged right there in a very sophisticated mode of teaching. He took a physical reality to communicate a spiritual truth. For instance, he, this isn't new to Jesus. This is something that he does fairly often. And in Matthew 15, 11, Jesus taught that what goes into someone's mouth does not defile them. But what comes out of their mouth, that is what defiles them. Now, he painted a pretty gruesome picture. When you think about it, eating, you know, what goes into your mouth when you eat is not what defiles you. What comes out of your mouth, you get the point, right? We've all been there. It's a pretty gruesome illustration, but it's an illustration that makes sense out of something very important for their context. Namely, they were dealing with the matter of the Levitical dietary code. And so if you ate something that was not permitted by the Levitical dietary code, they would say that you are unclean. Your body has been defiled. But what Jesus was saying was that it's not what goes into your mouth. It's what comes out of your mouth that defiles you. Meaning the spiritual reality is it's not the fact that you're eating something that makes you unclean. What makes you unclean are your words, are your actions, and your thoughts. The things that actually compose who you are and how you are expressing yourself. So what goes in someone's mouth does not defile them, but what comes out of their mouth, that is what defiles them, is a simple statement, but it requires us to have to think about it a little bit to really make sense out of it. Likewise, that is what's going on when it comes to this idea of unhealthy and healthy eyes that Jesus has introduced to us here. Starting with the physical reality. Yes, when our eyes are healthy, light enters the eye and is interpreted by the brain properly so that we might see. We got two optometrists here today, so I'm hoping that I'm getting this right. <laughs> so light enters through the eye, it, it's interpreted by the brain, and that is how we see. And someone with healthy vision is someone that we might say has 20-20 vision. Okay, 20-20 vision. It means your eyes are healthy. It means you're seeing things the way you're supposed to see them. Then we take the other side of the spectrum, where light does not enter the eye, or is interpreted by the brain properly. We have terminology for that as well. We call that being blind. 
And it's sad to see someone wandering around in blindness because sight is such a valuable sense. I remember watching this street evangelist on, on YouTube. His name is Ray Comfort, and he goes around, and, and one of the questions he likes to ask people is, hey, if I give you a million dollars, will you pluck out one of your eyes and give it to me? <laughs> well, that's just a crazy thing. And people say no almost 100% of the time. Every now and then, though, he comes across somebody who's like, I think that'd be worth it. A million dollars, I still have... One eye left, I can still see. Yeah, sure, I'll do that for a million dollars. And he said, okay, let's up the ante a little bit. What if I give you $10 million and you pluck out both of your eyes? You know who says yes to that one? Nobody. Nobody says yes to that. Are you kidding? Sight is so valuable. Seeing things is so important. You guys probably remember this cartoon, by the way. There is a cartoon about a man who is, I would say, legally blind. Not blind, but legally blind. Mr. Magoo. And the joke about Mr. Magoo is he'd walk around town and he'd see everything the wrong way. For instance, if he saw a dog, he would say, oh, that's such a nice cat. Or if he saw a cat, he might say, well, that's such a nice dog. Or if he saw a fire hydrant, he might think that it was a person. So things always turned out okay for him. But could you imagine if someone was truly wandering around with no guidance while being blind. That's a dangerous thing. You could get hurt. And yet so many people are wandering around in spiritual blindness. And that is what Jesus' teaching was really on, about people being spiritually blind. Now, it wasn't on being born spiritually blind. There are plenty of scriptures that talk about being born spiritually blind. We're all born into sin, and so we actually have to be taught the ways of the Lord in order to see things properly, in order for us not to be spiritually blind for our entire lives. But the type of spiritual blindness we are talking about in this context, in the context of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, is actually described in Romans chapter 1, verses 20 through 23. And it says, Since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities have been clearly seen. And so we're able to look and we're able to clearly see the qualities that are invisible about God within creation. Being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. Or we're without excuse if we say that we don't see the hand of God on everything. For although they knew God, they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. In other words, this is a type of blindness that is brought upon by oneself. Furthermore, it is an obstruction, something that forms over time to prevent you from seeing the world the way that it really is. And it reminds me of two people that I know who had cataract surgery. I remember these people that had cataract surgery, they used to wear very thick lenses in their glasses. Without those glasses, they were practically blind. And then one day they went in to have cataract surgery and within that week, probably the next day, I don't remember exactly, they walked out of cataract surgery, came back, I saw them and they weren't wearing their glasses. It was almost miraculous. 
These cataracts are obstructing their vision so much that the only way they could see was glasses, but as soon as they had that cataract removed, they could see the world clearly for what it was without the aid of glasses. Well, the type of cataract that Jesus is referring to within the Sermon on the Mount is the pursuit of earthly riches. And as a Christian, one of the most difficult resources to understand and to master is money. And while money itself, money itself is amoral, meaning that it's, it's neither good nor bad. Somebody having money, they can use it to do good things with it. They can use it to do bad things with it. It is an amoral, inanimate object. But Paul is sharp to remind us that the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Get that. The love of money is a root of all sorts of evil. He goes on to say, some people eager for money, meaning they are just striving after it, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. You can see the imagery. They have wandered from the faith. They could see clearly at one moment, but because of this cataract that is formed in their sight, this cataract of wealth and fame and money, they had begun wandering from the faith. They became Mr. Magoo. <laughs> in fact, instead of seeing a dog as a cat and a cat as a dog, what ended up happening, they started seeing good as evil and evil as good. And at first, it may come across as harmless. And I know that one of the lines that is often pitched from various business, businessmen is that we don't really care about becoming super wealthy. We just want to be wealthy enough that we don't have to worry about everything else in our lives. Now, isn't that a deceitful way of thinking about money? In fact, Jesus referred to this reasoning as the deceitfulness of riches in Mark 4.19, which is one of his parables. And is that not deceitful? For one, we all know that we are mortal human beings. At some point in our lives, money is not going to be enough. This might invade our world through a car accident, a health emergency, a tragic phone call, a broken relationship. And on that note, the pursuit of wealth can result in the sacrifice of many good and valuable relationships. Who in here doesn't know somebody who is extremely successful, but at the expense of that success, they ended up sacrificing his or her marriage? Don't we all know somebody who gained the entire world, but now their son or daughter will never speak to them again. The promises of wealth are deceitful, and many people that have achieved fame, fortune, and even obtained great amounts of power regret having ever walked that road. If you see money and material possessions as your savior, light is not entering through your eye. Your eyes have become unhealthy. 
Light does not enter into your soul, and how dreadfully dark your soul has or will eventually become. In verse 24, Jesus closed this teaching by saying that no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now, the obvious implication is that you cannot chase after money and serve God without compromise. I need to point out here, though, that there is an element of grace that is conveyed regarding money. So we know that we're not supposed to chase after money with all of our heart and all of our strength and all of our focus. By the same token, you can have money but not become its slave. After all, it's saying you cannot serve both God and money. My grandpa used to say, don't work for money. Make money work for you. It's a wise saying. I know that some of it had to do with, you know, stocks and things like that, but on, on the same token, it can be applied to other areas as well, like obtain money through hard work, but master it. Master your income. Master your money. Don't become its slave. Don't find yourself waking up just to have to work for the next dollar. Don't become the slave of money. Use money as a tool. In fact, Shortly after writing about the evils of loving money, Paul was also quick to address the rich people within his audience because within the first century church, there were people that were wealthy. There were people who were rich. And he wrote in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 18 through 19, command them, and the them, by the way, in this context is the rich, command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and this is the part where he was trying to give them advice to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. And we remember that Jesus taught that it's hard for a rich person to enter into heaven. But right here, he just gave the roadmap. He just showed us how it is that those who have wealth are to view their money. In other words, what is being taught here is don't strive merely to be rich in this life, merely to have fame and fortune in this life. You will lose so much if you spend all of your time storing up. If you give freely so that what God has given you will be a blessing to others, you too will be blessed. The bottom line is, Focus your eyes on Jesus. You got good eyesight? Focus those good eyes on Jesus Christ. He will maintain the health of your spiritual vision. He will direct you concerning what to do with your time and with your resources. I mean, it all belongs to him anyway, right? So if it all belongs to him and he knows how to use it and he being God who is infallible, why not give it all over to him? Why not let him be the one to determine for us how to use the things that he has blessed us as stewards to watch over? If you see the world through this lens, through the lens of mercy and grace, you will never fail to have healthy eyes, and you will not fail to store up treasure in heaven. Let's bow our heads in a word of prayer.
Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord. And your Son, Jesus Christ, gives us these teachings. And he requires that we think about them and ponder them. And Lord, I'm just grateful that I'm blessed to be able to deliver such a message this morning. And Lord, I pray that for those that are out there today, that they're able to think on these things and that it blesses them even. I pray, Lord, that you would help us all to have good spiritual sight, to be able to see the world through your mercy and grace and not just through our selfish ambitions, through the letdowns, through the sorrows, through our lack, but rather, Lord, through your abundance, through the things that you have given us so graciously, and to understand, Lord, that you have blessed us to be a blessing. We praise you. We thank you. In the name of your Son, Jesus, amen.